Welcome back to Spotlight 19, the podcast keeping track of how our representative John Faso has been voting and talking about other issues important to the Congressional District 19. This is Justin Tracy, and it's late on Monday night, May 22nd, 2017. And this is Saja Tracy here. We have a great show coming up for you. We have an interview with Gareth Rhodes, who's announced his intent to run against John Faso in 2018. It's been a really intense week of news, but through all of this Russia business, it's even more important to note what Representative Faso has been up to. Yes, and what he has not been up to. So let's jump right in. What he did not do is call for special counsel to investigate the president and his potential obstruction of justice when the president provided the Russians with the most highly classified intelligence. Now, we don't want to get too deep into all that, but one thing I will note about Faso is that he has been consistent. He's been pretty consistently against a deeper inquiry into the Russian ties. He's always publicly stated that he trusts the independence of the FBI, and that's the entity that he thinks should be investigating the Russian issues with respect to the 2016 campaign. He has not come out in favor of a stronger congressional inquiry, and he probably won't. Though he did make a statement about the appointment of Mueller, the special counsel, on Twitter. But I couldn't find that anywhere else. But at least he did applaud the appointment. He didn't say something like, oh, we shouldn't have a special counsel. The president is, you know, innocent and it doesn't need investigating. So at least there's that. Right. So that statement is not on his website? No, the statement about Mueller is not on his website. It's not one of his official press releases. On Monday, May 15th, it was reported that the president shared classified information with the Russians during a meeting after he fired James Comey, the FBI director. A lot of constituents that I have talked to, and if you look at social media, immediately called on Faso to support the special prosecutor. But instead on Tuesday, and I know that Justin got this email too, Faso sent this letter referring again to the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server in an attempt to seemingly deflect attention from the gravity of the situation. Mm. But I, I do think that while the investigation into the president's ties to Russia is incredibly important, it's important also that this district calls on FASO to focus on the things that matter to us. Obviously, Russia is important, but there are bills that directly impact this district that people sometimes lose sight of because they're so focused on this craziness in Washington. Yeah, good point. I got a press release on a really Russia news intensive day that Faso and Representative Maloney, and Maloney is the District 18 rep, who has held more town halls than Faso actually in this district, The two of them are co-sponsoring a bill requiring airplanes to have emergency meds for children. That that sounds like a good bill, but if you think about it a little bit more deeply, and there's not a lot of details about the bill, it seems like a big pharmaceutical company will end up getting some cash out of it. But I am glad that Faso is spending more time with Representative Maloney and not some of the other representatives in the House who are authoring bills to dismantle the Department of Education. I don't get it. Why would anyone be attempting to dismantle the federal agency charged with making sure there's a baseline education for our kids? Well, the Republican position is that the feds should have less oversight into all areas of our lives. 
And that sounds good in theory. And actually, John Faso, in his past political life, is on the record saying that he supports disbanding the Department of Education. It should be a state's right issue. Yeah. And if you look at the budget that Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, has just released, this budget cuts funding to many essential programs like the Advanced Placement Program, the Special Olympics, after-school programs for needy kids. Didn't John Faso just meet with representatives from the Special Olympics? Uh, he did. I think that was just last month. But he, you know, he hasn't come out against the budget. I did place a call to see what his position was and the staffer didn't have an answer. Well, dismantling the education system will just create more crime, which in turn leads to militarization of police. And we find ourselves in an Orwellian type scenario. It's so funny that you mentioned George Orwell because my first exposure to George Orwell was through my advanced placement English course, which is one of the programs that Betsy DeVos's budget is seeking to cut. You know, we could go on and on. We could go on and on about a lot of the topics, and we really encourage our listeners to write in. Tell us what you're thinking about it. The email address is nyspotlight19 at gmail.com. Since we're speaking about George Orwell and the police state, this is the perfect time to transition to National Police Week. Yeah, I saw a lot of activity about this, which is ironic because the president himself might end up under criminal investigation soon. Well, it's funny because John Faso really promoted this week that's dedicated to police and first responders. It's actually a week that John F. Kennedy created back in the 60s to honor the brave men and women who do put their lives on the line. But it's interesting because for John Faso, he dedicated a lot of time to the bills and it was in his emails. But Women's History Month did not even get an Instagram post. Black History Month got a single post, you know, with the text Black History Month. But it is unclear, at least from his social media, if John Faso actually attended anything. However, Police Week got a lot of attention from John Faso. Well, let me let me tell you about the Thin Blue Line Act, which is a bill that John Faso voted in favor of. If you are one of the lucky recipients of the Work Week with John Faso emails, which he sends out every week, between 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. on a Friday when, you know, everyone's really looking forward to reading a lengthy email about everything that's gone on in Congress. Not. <laughs> Anyway, the wording of his email is completely misleading. What this act does is it allows federal judges to consider the fact that someone is a policeman as an aggravating factor when they're making a consideration as to whether someone should be punished via the death penalty. This allows the judge to give a greater weight to the fact that the person is a police officer. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, first responders, that's terrible crime. It's definitely necessary that we need this. But judges already have wide discretion and they're charged with taking all the circumstances into account. So this bill is just redundant. It's unnecessary. And it is expanding the power to sentence someone to death. The last time anyone was federally punished to the death penalty was Timothy McVeigh, and that was about 
I believe, 16 years ago. So in the past 16 years, there has been no federal death penalty imposed. Many states no longer use the death penalty. And the fact that FASO is voting in favor of this redundant bill, a bill that is expanding the scope of capital punishment, is really important for this district to know about. It may have flown under the radar. I think a lot of people don't realize that that any bill actually costs the taxpayer money. The processing of the bill, the writing of the bill, the money could be spent on other things, maybe different training programs for the police so that they don't have to use excessive force. There were actually a number of bills that were passed during this National Police Week. Um, there was another bill that allows probation officers to now effectuate arrests, which doesn't seem like it's necessary. A probation officer is there to make sure someone who is on probation, someone who served their term in federal prison, is not violating the terms of their probation. So allowing this additional person to now be able to effectuate an arrest is not something that we needed. And I don't think it's a concern that this district in particular was calling upon FASO to vote for. It seems like this group of bills was put together for the police, a group that widely endorses Republicans. But by contrast, groups that perhaps didn't endorse Republicans don't get any bills dedicated to them during their recognition months. If something is in the interest of a group that endorsed FASO, money is no object. But if it's for something where some people who maybe didn't vote for John Faso, like minorities or women, maybe they benefit, then he's all about the tax burden. Other than these National Police Week bills, John Faso did appear on WAMC, the public radio station up in Albany. He talked a little bit about the American Health Care Act. I was really struck by the fact that he compared the tax burden for health care to a car lease. That's mind-blowing to me. That Faso, given the truly heartfelt outrage about the health care vote, he continues to speak out about the bill in these dry terms. This is people's health care we're talking about. And what he's doing affects real people. It's not just all about the numbers all the time. He, he also stated during this interview with Alan Chartok of WAMC that most of his constituents agree with him and that he has his staff recording evidence of people who have supposedly requested to speak with him but actually haven't. And he was really making some some strong accusations against people who have been disappointed in the fact that he has refused to meet with us in the town hall and that he really hasn't been voting the way that he portrayed himself. He portrayed himself as a moderate Republican. And he goes on WAMC and he says, I speak and appear at community events all the time. But, you know, it remains to be seen. We just invited John Vazo the other day. I don't know how Justin feels about that. Look, I don't know if he'll come on the show or not. Uh, I would like to hear him justify his voting record and be called on the specifics rather than have him explain it to everyone and confuse them, which is what we've seen him do in the past. He did say that he's had 250 constituent meetings, and then he went on to say that this is something that he's saying about his constituents. Not everyone tells the truth all the time. And it really, that really hit me hard because we're living with this administration 
that constantly lies. Yep. Nobody can deny that. That the people that are at the highest level of governments are are saying things that are not true. Like it's not a big deal. Right. And we're sitting here. It's Sunday night, late, and we just want to hold our congressman accountable, much like many other constituents. And he is. Saying that, oh, we're not telling the truth all the time. Well, that's just a way to make us feel small, and we're not going to take it. I'm, we're we're here to shed light on John Faso's votes, and we would love to have him because maybe maybe we're misconstruing what he's doing, and maybe there is a need for all of the redundant le- legislation that we just talked about. Well, I did see one good thing John Faso did last week. He sent a letter and released a statement urging an agreement in Delaware County that would prevent future flooding. The proposed plan for flood management includes things like monitoring reservoir levels, etc. So we're trying to be fair and show the things that John Faso does that we think is positive. And we'll also show the other side. Thank you all for listening. Stay with us for our interview with Gareth Rhodes here on Spotlight 19. We have now with us Gareth Rhodes, who's running on the Democratic ticket for United States Congress. Should he win the primary, he'll be running against John Faso. Gareth was born and raised in District 19 and announced he was considering a campaign the week after John Faso and the Republicans voted to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. His intent to run was reported widely. Even Maggie Haberman of The New York Times retweeted his post on Medium. We're lucky to have Gareth at such an early stage in his run. So welcome to Spotlight 19, Gareth. Thanks, Sajra, and thanks, Justin, as well. I don't think everyone who listens to the podcast realizes this, but this is not your full-time job, and as you do this in your spare time, and I think this is very exciting. I've been a big fan of the podcast, the first three episodes, and I look forward to it growing and more people here in the 19th, but also across New York, across the country listening and I think I've been very inspired. I've, I've sent this podcast to some of my friends as well in other swing districts. And I think this is kind of a model of what what people across the country can see as keeping keeping their representatives accountable. And I think you're doing a great job of that. And I want just want to say keep it up. And it's I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let's just dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your history in the district. My understanding is that the last time you lived here for a long stretch was back in high school. Yeah, so I grew up in the town of Esopus. Uh, my parents still live there. I grew up in a uh, faith-based community in the town of Esopus. I grew up working on a farm there along the Waco River. I graduated from Kingston High School in 2006. After high school, I moved to Marlboro, where I got a job working for a water well drilling business. We drilled water wells all across the Hudson Valley, here in Ulster and Dutchess. I was on the Marlboro Fire Department. After doing that, I went down to CUNY in New York City, a public university where I studied political science and economics. And then I moved up to Albany to work in the governor's office. And while I was in Albany, I also spent a lot of time here, particularly after Hurricane Irene. I was in the Catskills. After the flooding happened in Prattsville and Margaretsville, where I spent a lot of time here with small businesses and farms who were devastated by the storms, helping them get the relief that they needed. And that sounds like it's very important to the district. Uh, one of our current representatives' concerns is the issue that 
people in the district are leaving the district, which is not necessarily supported by the numbers, but you do hear about people who leave for college or grad school and they don't end up coming back to the area. What are some of your plans to make sure that even if people like you might go away for college or grad school, they consider coming back to this area? We live in the most beautiful places, not just in New York State, but in the entire country. Go to the Catskill Mountains, some of the most beautiful parts of the entire country are right here in the Hudson Valley. This is a beautiful place to raise a family. And what I want to do as a member of Congress is work to ensure that the jobs for people, for young people, for people who are older than me, people who are younger than me, are here. So parents don't have to worry about making sure that you know their children will have the same economic opportunities that they have. And I think we need to work to make sure that those jobs are here. I was six years old when IBM left Kingston. At one point, it was one of the biggest employers here, 7,000 jobs. Now, Kingston has come a long way since then. The economy of this whole region has come a long way since then. But I think we have to do more. We have to work with our universities to make sure that the research jobs, the innovation jobs are coming here to the Hudson Valley. We need to work with our small businesses, our craft breweries, and make sure that the economy of the future is happening here in the Hudson Valley. This seems like a perfect segue into higher education and other educational issues. Betsy DeVos released her budget for the Department of Education this week, which includes significant cuts to important programs in our public schools, like the advanced placement program, after-school programs relied on by so many low-income Americans, including those in this district. It also includes cuts to the loan repayment assistant program. What do you think about these cuts as a whole, and do you have any thoughts about some of the specific programs that I mentioned. We need to make sure that our education system remains a affordable and pipeline to the American dream for all children and all students. What is particularly troubling to me is the fact that college education has become more and more expensive and further and further out of the reach to many, many Americans. And I think we need to tackle two important parts of this. We need to tackle college affordability and we need to tackle the student debt crisis. On college affordability, we need to make sure that our middle class and low-income students are not scared away from going to college by the cost of college. That includes ensuring that our public universities are fully funded. The Pell Scholarship Program here in New York, our TAP Scholarship Program, those programs are fully funded and in place to make sure that I went to college, I went to public university thanks to a Pell Grant and thanks to TAP Aid. Without that, I wouldn't have been able to get a college education. I want to make sure that my children, that other people's children, are able to have those same opportunities that I did. The college debt crisis is one of the largest crises that's facing our country today. And the fact is that other countries do this much better than we do. The debt burdens that face American students are crippling them at the very time of their lives when the last thing they need to be is under a mountain of debt. Refinancing programs to ensure that massive amounts of loans on so many students are paid off over a much longer period of time. We need to make sure that we have income-based repayment programs. So. Their students who are taking maybe lower paying jobs aren't saddled with enormous payments and are drowning in debt. That seems like a good point for me to interject. Many of my law school colleagues used the loan repayment assistant program to justify taking some of the lowest paying jobs out of law school. One of the most difficult and vital is the position of public defender. Public defense work is incredibly grueling since these defenders must work within our broken criminal justice system, one that's being further pillaged by the attorney general and Trump. What do you think about some of the measures that are being taken? The day after Donald Trump was elected president, the stock prices for one of the largest companies that owns private prisons went up almost 50 percent. 
I recognize that prisons support a number of good-paying jobs in many communities in this district and across the state. However, I don't believe that we should view our criminal justice system as a jobs program. Our criminal justice system needs to be focused on rehabilitation, on ensuring that recidivism doesn't happen, and I think we can do that through making sure that our prison system is focused on making sure that the people who go back into society aren't going to commit the same crimes again. I look at this problem on kind of two ways. And the first way is as a taxpayer. I don't want my taxpayer dollars to support a system that when people walk out of a prison, they're going to commit the same crime and go right back in again. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to keep someone behind bars. I want to make sure that my taxpayer dollar is going to make sure that whoever is released from prison is going to have a productive life, that they are going to find a job, they can have a family. That's one part. And the second part is, there's a moral question here too. We put more people in prison than any other country in the world. We're not the most dangerous country in the world. We put more people in prison than any country in the world. I think we have to be asking serious questions. This is something that particularly affects our minority communities. Why do we have so many minority men in prison? I think we need to take a serious look at it. And what really, really makes me mad is when I see what Jeff Sessions is doing in Washington with private prisons. President Barack Obama did so much work to make sure that that the private prison complex, industrial complex, was coming to an end. Donald Trump took office. These multi-million dollar corporations that sponsor private prisons, their stock went soaring higher. And now Jeff Sessions and the Department of Justice is trying to bring back private prisons. I think it's wrong. I think that our prisons need to be focused on rehabilitation, just on ensuring that the people who are released from them or become productive members of society. That, that was really well said. It's something that we actually haven't heard at all from our congressman now. And I know that Justin and, and I at least have reached out to him about these very issues. And, you know, hearing radio silence is, is difficult. Shifting to a different topic, the 2016 election has really changed the game completely. I think everyone is, that's one point where everyone agrees. People seem to no longer be interested in career politicians. Fazzo and Paul Ryan actually both went into politics straight after school, much like you would be doing. They're career politicians acting, in my view, in favor of special interests. What will you do to make sure that doesn't happen to you? Public service is a lifetime calling for me. I am inspired to go into public service because I care about the people. This is not a Democrat thing. This is not a Republican thing. I care about the people, and I care about how government is affecting people. Government, at its core, is about doing things to improve people's lives. It's that simple. And what inspired me to get into this race is I saw government doing exactly the opposite. What's happening in Washington is nothing less than an attack on our community. It's an attack on our healthcare system. 65,000 people in our community depend on the ACA for healthcare. And the Republicans in Congress, including our very representative, are attacking that. I grew up hiking in the Catskill Mountains. I've climbed every mountain there. The Catskill Mountains are one of the most beautiful natural treasure we have. If Trump and the Republicans are successful at rolling back the clean power plan, the pollution that we saw in the 80s and 90s, which brought the acid rain to the Catskill Mountains, that's going to happen all over again. This community, we fought for our natural environment. We fought to clean up the Hudson River. The last thing we need is the Republicans in Washington to be working against this community. Our farmers who depend on seasonal labor, 
when we hear this immigration rhetoric coming out of Washington, our farmers are concerned, are they going to be able to have the seasonal labor they need to harvest their crops? Because if they don't get that, they will go bankrupt. It's, these are not Democrat issues. These are not Republican issues. These are issues that matter to the people of the community. There are actually seasonal workers right outside our window on the field that Spotlight 19, uh, our studio, sits on. We're wondering what will happen to a lot of the crops on the field if some of these draconian policies are pushed through. And there is, there seems like there will be a labor shortage this summer uh, with respect to our farms. And this is exactly what I mean, is government has to be about listening to the people and about making sure that we're addressing the concerns of people in the community. Our current representative has refused to talk to the people in this community. To me, I have someone who's believed in public service my entire life, that it's one of the most offensive things a public servant can do is refuse to listen to the people who he or she claims to represent. This district has a long history of public servants who, even if someone disagreed with them, were never afraid to talk to, talk to the people who elected them to office. We pay, the, we pay the salary of the member of Congress. We pay them a very good salary. The least they could do is stand up and talk to us. And maybe then they would hear the concerns. Maybe then they would hear the concerns of people who are on health insurance who are scared of losing their health insurance. Maybe then they would hear the concerns of the parent who sends their child to the Boys and Girls Club and is scared if this Trump budget goes through, their child won't have anywhere to go in the after-school program. Maybe they would then hear the concerns of the auto shop body owner on 9W who's struggling to pay his health insurance premiums, and then we could find a way to make the ACA better for everyone. Maybe then they would hear the concerns of the folks in, in the Catskill Mountains who don't want to see the acid rain again. That, to me, is what government needs to be about, listening to, the, listening to people and making sure that government is working for our communities, not against it. What do you have to say when John Faso says he's had over 250 meetings with constituents, he doesn't need to have a town hall, they're not productive? One of the most inspiring days in the last few weeks for me was when Representative Sean Patrick Maloney came here to Kingston and showed exactly what a representative should be doing stood up in front of almost a 1,000 people and answered questions on every topic you can think of. And guess what? Not everyone agreed with what he said. Did he run, run away with his tail between his legs? Absolutely not. He stood there. He answered those questions. He talked to everyone. That is what a representative is for. If you don't believe in talking to the people, then you probably should find a different career than being what is called the representative of the community. What are some non-political things that you're looking forward to this summer? I understand that you're going to be in the district, which is really exciting. We always look forward to, you know, summers up here. Absolutely. I love going out in the Catskill Mountains. Some of the, it's the, the best time of the year is the summer. Some of the best hiking in, I think, the country is in the Catskill Mountains. What's your, what's your favorite, favorite trail? I think the trail over Slide Mountain. It's the tallest peak actually right here in Ulster County. The tallest peak is Slide. It's a beautiful hike. It will take you the entire day. It's a hard, challenging climb, but it is fantastic. If you want to go to the Fire Tower up on Overlook Mountain, that's a little bit of an easier climb. But there is, in the Catskill Mountain, one of the beauties is there's a trail for everyone. So there's some really tough ones, Wittenberg in particular. There's some, some easier ones. But I think no matter what you're looking for in a beautiful afternoon or a weekend here, you can the, the Catskill Mountains is a, is a great place to start. And are you planning any hikes this summer? Absolutely. 
if you follow my Instagram feed or my Twitter feed or follow me on Snapchat, you will be seeing plenty of the Catskill Mountains and um, all, all sorts of all communities across this across this district this summer. Have you been to every county in this district? I sure have. All eleven. It's eight. In, it's eight counties in their entirety, <laughs> and parts of eleven. And I've been to every single one of them. Yes. That's that's really exciting because I know we're that's one of our goals this summer is to hit each county. We're trying to have guests from each county within the district. Next week, we're going to have someone from Delaware County, which is exciting to hear a little bit of a different perspective. And we're really lucky to have had you on the show. Just one more time so our listeners know, how can they find you? How can they find out more about you? And if they want to, where can they meet you? Sure. I have a website. It's uh, Gareth Rhodes, G-A-R-E-T-H-R-H-O-D-E-S.com. I will be here in the community, and I look forward to meeting Everyone, the election is not for a long time, so I have time to go to every single community in this district. That's my plan. I'm going to put 100,000 miles, if not more, on my car, going <laughs> to every single community and talking to everyone. And Do you have a good mechanic? I'm going to need one, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I think that about does it. You know, I'm hoping to have you back. Just one last thing before we go. If someone isn't registered do you know some of the dates for registration and the Democratic primary, just, just to throw them out there? If you're not registered, you should register now because I want everyone to be able to vote, not just next year, but in the 2017 elections, which are coming up. It's so important to win these local races because a lot of stuff happens here on the local level. And so I think if you're not registered, go to your Board of Elections website, register now, and vote in the elections here in 2017. And then you also will be registered to vote for 2018. And that concludes our interview with Gareth Rhodes, a strong contender for District 19's congressional seat for the 2018 election. This concludes our fourth podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, keep the faith. Come on to the house.